just a welcome. And look, we'd love to talk to you more about Jesus. That's why we're here. Uh, who is Jesus, though? Who is Jesus? What kind of man is he? Well, if you ask that question today in 2019, you're likely to get a variety of answers depending on whom you ask. Uh, let's pretend that you asked your brother. Your brother. And you asked your brother and you said, hey, who, uh, mate, who, who is Jesus? Well, your brother might give you an answer something like, I don't know, good person, I guess, I reckon. He'd probably try to help people. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Or maybe you asked your coworker, who is Jesus? And they, depending on their background, would probably give you one answer or another. Now let's take it a step further. Let's pretend that at the door today, I'm not going to hand you a book, though if you want, we do have books there for you to read. But let's pretend that I hand you this piece of paper and I say, all right, I know this is embarrassing, but all of you, all the places you shop, you know, if you go to the Imperial Center or, you know, Woolies, Bunnings, all the places, Rebel Sport, all the places you're going to be this week, hand this to people and, and say, look, would, would you mind just having a go at answering on the back? Who, who is Jesus? Just, you know, sentence or two. Can I? I'm not going to have you do that. But, you know, just imagine if you did that. And then, and let's just pretend that next week we brought all the papers back. And then we just started looking and reading what people here, here on the Central Coast, what they're saying about who Jesus is. There'd probably be a smorgasbord of answers, right? Some would be good. Some not so good, but listen, does it really matter? I mean, Jesus is a big guy, right? I mean, does he really care about what people say about him? If he's a loving, caring guy, does it really matter what you say about Jesus? Just as long as you don't, you know, write curse words on the back. But does Jesus really care what people say about him? Does it matter? What kind of a man is Jesus anyway? Well, if you were in, say, in Sydney and you worked there and you were to hand that to someone in the inner west, particularly, particularly someone in Islam, they would say, well, Jesus is a prophet. In fact, he's a prophet that's coming back. That sounds pretty good. Maybe, maybe they follow the same Jesus we do. Or maybe you met someone that's Jewish. The yarmulke would give it away. And you say, who's Jesus? And they say, well, he's a historical figure and taught people. Yeah, well, that sounds pretty good too. So who is Jesus? Now let's pretend that we can get in a time machine and go 2,000 years ago and meet a guy who followed Jesus around for several years. And this guy that followed Jesus around for several years as he takes this piece of paper and as he writes on the back, God himself inspires this man to write an account of who Jesus is. Do you think that'd carry some weight? 
Yeah, it would, right? And that's, friend, that's exactly what we have here in the Gospel of Matthew. We've got an eyewitness account of Jesus himself. And Matthew is not shy about who Jesus is. Matthew wants you to take away this morning and ask yourself the same question that he himself asked, as Ezra just read for us. What kind of man is this? And the answer is, he is the Son of God who has authority over the natural world and the supernatural world. You see, how you answer that question, listen to me, every single one of you in this room, every one of you that's breathing right now, which is everyone, at least I hope so. <laughs> if not, call 000, not 911, that won't do anything. Every one of you that's breathing in this room has to answer that question, who is Jesus? Even if, listen, even indifference gives an answer. Well, I don't know, that's an answer. You're apathetic, you don't care, but that's still an answer. Every single person in this room, I'm talking to you, give an answer. Who is Jesus? And Matthew wants to drive home into our hearts this morning that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's, and you know what's amazing about this? What I love about Matthew? Matthew just doesn't state that. Like he could have, right? He could have just said, Listen, Jesus is the Son of God. But he paints a picture, he, tell, he recounts a, a two events to prove that. He doesn't just say, Jesus is the Son of God. That'd be true, he could do that. But he actually, he said, let me, let me show you what I experienced following in the footsteps of this man. And let me show you how he proves that he has authority over the natural and the supernatural. So that's where we're headed. The Son of God has authority over the natural and the supernatural. What kind of man is this? Who is Jesus? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would show yourself for who you are, the eternal Son of God. And rather than that just be information, would you pierce hearts Holy Spirit, would you move and draw people to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we read last week, it was a hectic day in Capernaum. Full of healing, full of teaching, and, and after encountering two would-be disciples, Jesus and his followers hop into a boat to go to the other side. And before you know it, night sets in, and out of the blue, they're caught in a fierce storm. And what's Jesus doing? Going for a little snooze. I mean, really? What, what, why does Matthew even note that? Is, is Jesus just flat out exhausted from the day? 
and he, you know, he's, he's a deep sleeper. He, guys, I could sleep through anything, right? Is that what's going on? Or could it be that he's testing the disciples? Well, we, we don't know. Well, what we do know is that these experienced fishermen approach the carpenter who's from an inland town. He's from the west, as it were. Nazareth is nowhere near the water. It takes a day's journey to get to any kind of water. It would be a terrible place for me to live. No offense if you're from Dubbo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Here's these experienced fishermen. They know the water. This is their jam. This is their wheelhouse. This is what they do. And they know they're in a world of trouble. And so they call upon this sleeping carpenter to help them. Look at me, look at with me at verse 23 here. Notice here, chapter 8, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you so, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Did you notice the first, do you notice that first? Jesus deals with the disciples' fears and then deals with the storm. The Lord deals with the disciples' faith before he deals with the storm. You see, the most important thing isn't the perceived danger, but the fact that Jesus is in control. Notice that there? After he says, "Of you of little faith, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Don't know how long that was. Five minutes would have felt like eternity, right? But then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea. And what happened? And after a few hours, you know, the weather changes and that's just part of how, no, no, no. no. Then there was a great calm. What sort of man that. Probably an echo from Psalm 107. There's a psalm that, in Psalm 107 that calls upon the community to thank God for rescuing them. It starts this way, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. They were in trouble and yet God delivered them. In this psalm, there's four groups. You still following me? Four groups that are addressed. It's all about the idea of the Jews being in exile. Now, the fourth group that's addressed, this last group that's mentioned, are those who went down to the sea in ships. You've got this crazy picture of sailors caught in a storm, and it looks like they're going to be shipwrecked. So God triumphs over this. And listen how it reads. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded it and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men who were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. 
He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. Yeah, you think? And he brought them to their desired haven. Which, that's nice. Yay, God rescued them. But who's the one that brought the storm in the first place? (laughs) Who's the one who commands the winds and the waves? Who's the one in control of nature? God, right? The Lord alone controls the wind and the weather. Only he can master a raging sea. He's not limited by the natural forces which he created. And so, here in Matthew, we have the disciples blitzed by a storm and Jesus rebukes it. And just like that, it's calm again. What manner of man is this? Only the Son of God could exercise this kind of authority. He speaks a word and the storm instantly subsides. That's not normal. You might have friends who whinge about the weather, but they can't change it. You see, my friends, this is a testimony to who Jesus is. Even the forces of nature obey his word. The disciples looked at each other and said, who is this guy? It's precisely the point, right? This isn't just an ordinary man. This isn't just a godly prophet. This isn't just a wise person. This is the very son of God who controls nature. Psalm 89 reads, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You know, it's interesting though, when the disciples ask that question, what sort of man is this? The question's left hanging in the air. Notice that? And then they just shift to another story. And the answer to their question comes from those you'd least expect. The person you'd actually least expect. Look with me in verse 29. You'll see what I mean. Verse 29 And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Who's talking there? The two demon-possessed guys. They recognize who Jesus is without anybody telling them. And not only do they acknowledge his power, but his status, that he is in fact the divine Son of God. That's better Christology than you get from some liberal churches here on the coast. And these demoniacs, they don't stop there. They drop another theological bomb. Do you get what I mean? They They don't just stop there. 
they drop another theological bomb. I'd hate for you to miss it. It's at the end of verse 29 if you're following along. I, I, I'd hate for you to miss it. Notice what they say. It says, have you come here to torment us before the time? You see that? Not only do these demons have their Christology down, but they've even aced their eschatology class. You're like, the what? The eschatology? The Listen, Greek word. Sorry if you don't like Greek. It's Greek to you. I get it. Eschatos is last, end. Eschatology is the study of the last, the end times which is precisely what these demons are referring to. Are they not? It's a final day of judgment when Satan and his demonic hosts will be cast into hell for all eternity. These demons know this will happen. No doubt in their minds. They know their time is limited. And they're also aware that the end times judge has appeared. He's standing right in front of them. And Jesus has authority over them. Which is why, which is why they don't tell him what to do. Did you notice that? They don't tell him what to do. Instead, they beg to be cast into pigs. They need his permission. You see, they didn't question his authority they acquiesce to it. They submit to it. It's quite conspicuous who's the boss, isn't it? If you listen to Colin Buchanan, which I recommend every one of you do, especially if you have young children, he's the boss of the cross. Na, 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 na. Boss of the cross. Anyway, bore my sin and my shame and suffered and bled. He's the boss of the... Anyway, <laughs> Colin Buchanan, put it in your phone got good lyrics. It's quite obvious, though, who's the boss, isn't it? It's quite clear who has the supernatural power. It's quite clear is who has authority over all the supernatural, not just the natural, but the supernatural. Now, catch this. Jesus utters one little word to these demons. Go. And the result is nothing short of dramatic like something you see at the cinemas. He commands the water and it obeys. He commands demons and they obey. He can handle the kingdom of darkness. What sort of man is this? He is the son of God who has authority over the natural and the supernatural. I want to talk about now this idea of the supernatural, but before we do, Let's pull back and unpack this story a bit more. It's been a rough night, to say the least. And try to imagine for a moment, you're one of the disciples. You're just catching your breath from the previous night. As your little boat comes ashore, you can hear the sound of the rocks and pebbles scraping against the bottom of the boat, as well as the sound of waves lapping the shore. Just as you're wondering what you're going to have for breakfast, you begin to make out a strange sound coming from a distant area. At first, it sounds like wild animals approaching. But then your eyes see in the distance 
two deranged men running at you full speed. That's the picture we have in verse 28. Look at verse 28. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, right? We got that. And then verse 28, and when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. What a scene. This isn't Tweedledee and Tweedledum bumping and bouncing down the hill towards Jesus. Right? These are, these are two men who are under the control of demons. Their wills and autonomy have been eclipsed by the demonic realm. The Gospel of Mark tells us that these men would run around nude in the tombs day and night. And they would scream at the top of their lungs. You can just imagine being the townspeople who lived near these men. The tombs might have been somewhere near up at the top of the hill and the townspeople lived below. And, and these men are screaming day and night, cutting themselves. Children would have been warned, steer clear of that area. And if you see one of these men or both of these men coming down near us, get an adult. Kids probably at night when they heard the shrieks during the middle of the night, jumped out of their beds and ran into their parents' room, freaked out because this was a real situation. These were real beings who had a reign of terror on this place. And at some point, the city came together and actually tried to do something with these guys. They attempted to bind these men. They, they wrapped ropes around them and eventually chains around them, but it was useless because the demons somehow gave these men supernatural strength and they would burst the chains apart. Hence the reason no one would pass that way. But as creepy as that scenario might sound, their power, their authority, pales in comparison to Jesus. So here they come, ready to be the boogeyman again, but their encounter the sovereign Lord, the Son of God, who has authority over the natural and the supernatural. Look at verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us? What common ground do we have? Was they're saying, O oh, Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? You, you, you hear this, you hear this fear in, in their voice, don't you? And again, they're, notice they acknowledge his authority. They don't command anything. What they say, they say, um, Matthew notes, now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from there. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. They, they know that Jesus is going to cast them out. In fact, we've already seen in chapter four and in the previous chapter, Jesus casting out demons. But this is the first time it's actually narrated. Does that make sense? Like we've, we've sort of heard and he was casting out demons, but this time it's brought to the forefront here for Matthew. 
They, they know they're going to be cast out. Because you see, as God's kingdom advances, the Lord is already introducing a death blow to the demonic. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus casting out demons is a preview of his victory over Satan. It's always the, you see, it shows the inbreaking or advancing of God's kingdom. One commentator put it this way. He said, the kingdom meant the defeat of Satan and the recreation, the restoration of the world that Satan had stolen and subjugated. You see, the coming of the kingdom also signifies the arrival of the king. You don't have the kingdom without the king. The king, the son of God, comes. His kingdom is embreaking in, and the demons know it. They're a defeated foe. And so Jesus cast these demons out. And rather than just Matthew say, and he cast them out, to illustrate that, you've got a herd of swine, about 2,000 of them. And if you go to Galilee today, you can see where this is at because you can look on the side and there's like only so many places where there's a cliff. Okay, so it's like, well, it'd have to have been there. <laughs> it's not that many cliffs in Galilee. It's particularly on the sea of Galilee, in the lake of Galilee. And, and that's where they record. It would have been right here. And you see, you can just imagine 2,000 pigs, which would have been um, not a Jewish area, by the way. Those are unclean animals. It's a Gentile area. And the next scene is just incredible. Jesus utters the word, and the demons enter these pigs and thunder over a cliff. Look at verse 32. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. You can just en envision the scene here, the squealing, the stampeding. But ultimately, this story is not about pigs. It's about people. Because notice Matthew highlights, they noted, they also noted, the demon guys who were demon-possessed. And if two guys that were this gnarly, who were, had to be bound, the, the townspeople came together, bound them in chains, they broke the chains apart. If these people now are in their right minds having a conversation with Jesus, I'd say that's uh, pretty significant. That's the point. Because Jesus has authority over the supernatural. Look at, and, and look at verse 33. The herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Now, if something like this happened, undoubtedly the whole town would hear about it. If something like this happened in Wyoming, people would hear about this in Darwin, right? 2,000 pigs. Well, and yeah, yeah. There'd be all kinds of, that make the Sydney Morning Herald big time. Pig killers, you know, I can only just imagine, right? The bacon market has crashed on the central coast, or, you know, whatever. Which would be terrible. Because I look up good eggs, Benedict. 
But you would expect, right, like undoubtedly the whole town would hear about this, and they do. The next verse tells us they do. And one would expect a celebration. One would expect even a parade down Main Street. But let's see how they respond. Look at verse 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. How did they respond? Would you leave? Would you please get out of here? We don't want you around anymore. You've already done a great deal of damage and financial loss to us. They don't insult him. They're like Aussies in a lot of ways. They don't insult him. They were perhaps well-mannered and polite. They just didn't want him around. They wanted to be left alone. Yeah, they were nice. But can you please just leave me alone? Thank you. Your authority, what you command, is too much for me. And I was wondering how many people right here on the Central Coast are under the illusion that if they just don't investigate enough into who Jesus is, they'll sort of be off the hook on Judgment Day. Right? Here's a guy, he appears before God. Yeah, he works hard. He's from Lizero. Nothing against Lizero. He works hard, you know, and... But he didn't really... He had a couple opportunities to investigate who Jesus is, but, oh, you know, look, he's busy. But he stayed faithful to his wife. Right? He raised good kids. You know, he even gave some of his his money away to different charities, but he couldn't be bothered with who Jesus is. And I, I think that man is under the illusion that when he appears before God one day, he'll kind of say, oh, yeah, well, look, I, I didn't know. And God will say, yeah, true, fair enough. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. You didn't really know. All right, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Let, let him in. Let him in. He tried, he tried. He tried. Yeah, he stuffed up a couple times, but you know, who didn't stuff up? But what a disaster that'll be for that man. Because yeah, he wants nothing to do with Jesus. The Holy One, the Son of God, comes to you now, friends, sitting right there. How are you going to answer that question? Who is Jesus? Do you understand? I would hate for any of you to be that person who stands before God and tries to somehow say, oh yeah, well look, I, I, I didn't know. I, di- I, didn't, I, I, I didn't know. Hear this. God has created you. You are accountable to God. You have deliberately sinned against God, incurring his judgment on you. You stand now ready to be judged. And if you don't repent, turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus Christ, you will go to hell forever. And there, there'll be no escaping Judgment Day. You can't go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. You just heard it. You just heard it. You can flee. Your response to Jesus doesn't have to look like the, peop, the men and women of this region. 
Your response can be one, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is good news. This is good news for those who will put their full weight onto Jesus' life and his death in their place. You can never stand before God and try to give some excuse. I could never do that. It's only by those who turn from sin and trust completely that Jesus is the Son of God and that being the Son of God could only be the one who would perfectly absorb God's wrath when he died on the cross entirely. When Jesus was on the cross, he was sinless, perfect, but God treated him as if he was a sinner. He executed Jesus as if he lived your life so he could treat you as if you lived his. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How will you respond to the Son of God this morning, friend? How will you respond? And Christian, if you're here and you're trusting alone in Jesus for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life, it may feel like we live in the region of the Gadarenes where most people could give a rip about following Jesus. If you're a young person, maybe you're the only Christian in your whole grade, don't know, or one of the few, and you feel like it is lonely, and it is, but who you decide Jesus is now matters for eternity. And it's going to reflect the way that you live your life. Christian parents, if you're making choices now that are difficult and you're going to get pushback from your non-Christian family members, it is challenging, but it's reflecting the fact that you've made a decision in your heart and your mind that Jesus is the Son of God. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And truly, this, your word is living and active. It's truly powerful. I, I could never make this up, and you know that, Lord. I could never be this creative, and yet your word's so powerful. So I do pray that now your word would wouldn't return to you void, but would accomplish your purpose of why you sent it. Would you convert souls? If there's someone that's just sort of fringe, would you rattle their cage, as it were? Lord, for those that are kind of sitting on the fence that haven't really come over the line yet to follow you, would you, may today be the day of salvation for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.